0: every form of data touchpoint that every one of us use today. And to your point, across demographics, it is not just for, you know, what we consider the millennial generation or the Gen Z. It is meant for every single citizen, end user, you know, that today is accustomed to getting access to information when they want, where they want, how they want. And, how fast they want? <laughs> like we all want it. Like you know, when was the last time you know you really
1: started? Hi, and welcome to another conversations with Des. I'm your host Des Blanchfield. Today I have the privilege of being joined in the studio by Bindu Sundarisen. Uh, Bindu, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: Thank you, Des. I'm good, thank you.
1: Now, Bindu, you are the principal architect at AT&T Cybersecurity. An amazing role, and I can't wait to dive into that. But before we do that, could we just do a little segue and maybe just get a little insight into you personally? Uh, Where you're from originally, uh, any career and uh, academic highlights you could share just to get listeners a little bit of insight into you personally before we dive into your role itself?
0: Sure, that sounds great. So I'm originally from India, the south of India, and i have a bachelor's in electrical engineering and a masters in telecommunications and networking i started off my career wanting you know to really delve into the deep aspects of electrical engineering and then realized that uh, at that point information networking was making a breakthrough so i came to the us to do my masters and right after that i started working in, in what i considered my dream city to work in new york city and i started working with kpmg uh, and over the years i've been doing security now for 20 years and over the years i've had amazing you know mentors and uh, a great team that's really enabled me to be successful one of the best um, you know advice that i got when i was doing my masters in the us was about how I should take a technical problem and really think about it in terms of what business value does that solution provide. And the decision maker needs to understand why they're really tackling this problem. So that was the best advice I got, especially in the field that I work in, which is cybersecurity. It is key to be technical, but at the same time, be able to translate it into business value and how it's really working out for an organization.
1: I love that advice. I uh, I remember as a teenager learning uh, programming, and we were writing basic back then of all the days that ages me, and my uh, my math and physics teacher used to do it and took the computer studies class, taught us about coding, but then one day he got us on the, on the chalkboard back then, no whiteboards, and said, don't write the first line of code unless you know the problem you're trying to solve and you can explain it in plain language. And I love that advice. It should almost be on the back of uh, business cards that don't solve a technical problem unless you know what business problem it's addressing. Uh, an amazing background there. I mean, uh, I, I love the idea you've got an electrical and engineering background because that, you know, I think uh, engineers understand the ins and outs of security and all the elements and financial components that go into networks and routers and switches and servers and where the data flows more than b- people who come from a business background and are trying to solve it from a a performance point of view because uh when people are attacking us they they they're not always interested in our, our cash flow they're looking for the data aren't they
0: mm-hmm. yes and you know the way cyber crime has evolved right uh so this you know like i said i start uh, you know 20 or year, 20 years ago i would uh, you know walk into hacking, you know, class in my master's program. And the visual is a script kitty or, you know, somebody in the garage sitting with a hoodie on and that's trying to really make a point and attack you, right? And today, I can truly say that, you know, you really do not have to be a skilled programmer to be able to launch um, an attack on an organization. Today, we have the dark web, we have an organized crime industry. And uh, what the good folks, the good security teams have to deal with today is never ending because the, the way the threat landscape has changed, you are constantly being attacked. The key is how quickly can you respond to that, right? So cybercrime as an industry, like you pointed out, it's not just about the money. It's about the data to be monetized and sold on the dark web. Um, I was talking to you know one of the CIOs a couple of years back that said to me, who would come after me? right? I am a small, you know, regional hospital, uh, and why would somebody come after me? Like, I'm doing good, right? I'm making sure, you know, patients receive quality care. The point is, you don't get to choose what is valuable or not for somebody that wants it, right? Um, I have had retailers, you know, say that, you know, do we really want to spend money on prevention techniques, let's say, for a denial of service attack? The key is, Today, somebody can launch that attack for less than fifty dollars, right? So, think about the ease at which attacks can be launched against organizations, and think about all of the challenges that, on a day-to-day basis, a security team or an IT team that supports these security initiatives have to deal with today. So, it's it's one of those um, you know areas where you know the World Economic Forum recently you know released a study in January and. Um, think about cyber attacks and data theft are still within the top five in terms of the likelihood of occurrence. So this is not a technical report. This is not, um, you know, this is World Economic Forum researching and, you know, releasing a a report on the top five risks. And if cyber attacks and, you know, data theft has bubbled to that top five, We truly know this is a global problem. This is not something that is only um, relevant to a certain vertical or a certain size of organization. This is a world issue. And the other three on the list are like, you know, climate, you know, global warming, climate changes, weather uh, events. So, again, you know, we've really bubbled up to the top when you think about cybersecurity.
1: Well, it is, and you know, there's some context in this. Australia, we haven't announced uh, officially yet. There's some thoughts around who it is, but Australia's actually been under sustained attack for the last uh, couple of months. And they have actually penetrated our federal government systems. They've penetrated the leading, I think, three to five political parties' systems. They've got data that have been in there for some time, and now we're trying to remove it. So we're, in many ways, Australia is at war, inside cyber war, with a nation somewhere that we haven't publicly stated yet. But I do like your point there, um, and, and, and it links me to the question around just what a day in the life uh, of the principal architect of AT&T cybersecurity is like. But... When we think about things like the United Nations uh, 17 sustainability goals that are like, you know, education, health and clean water, whatever, to think that now we've got this thing where it's not a technical challenge, even though we are being technically hacked per se, but it's the economic onflow. flow. You know, and I always sort of have this phrase of the human toll. When a data breach happens, people go, oh, it's going to cost me five million to clean up. And I say, well, that's for the business. But what about the human toll? So I do love your comment there with regard to now that World Economic Forum have got this issue of cybersecurity and sort of the top five to 10 things around clean water and education and and, and personal security, because we could potentially have a war around this space. So you mentioned a whole range of things that sort of sound like daily challenges that you're facing. I'm keen to get some insight on what is a day in the life of a principal architect in something quite so broad and deep and challenging is AT&T cybersecurity like? What What is an average day in your world like? I, I imagine there's no two days that are similar, but what are some of the biggest things you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis currently in your role?
0: Yeah, I think that's the most exciting part of uh, my role. I feel like I have a new job every day. I, I love the variety. <laughs> right? I want your um, job. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know as AT&T, you know, uh, I'm part of the AT&T cybersecurity uh, business, and what we see as part of, you know, um, the customers that we work with. So I, I personally work with customers of all sizes and um, all different verticals, spe- specifically healthcare, retail, uh, manufacturing, and finance. Um, you know, as part of being a security consultant uh, and a principal architect within the team, I uh, provide services to our customers that range from a life-, life cycle of, let's say, risk management, overall security operations, and incident response. Uh, so I'll give you some examples. I have, um, you know, customers that are, depending on where they are on their, you know, cybersecurity maturity curve, uh, you know, they need risk assessments performed to better understand, okay, what security investment should I be making, right? What is my three-year roadmap? Uh, What are some of the initiatives that I should be focusing on to improve my cybersecurity maturity? Then I have customers that currently have uh, security operations centers that want to better understand, you know, the tool set that they have, the technology. that they've invested in and see how to automate, orchestrate, improve their response time. Uh, I work with customers on making sure that their incident response plans can be tested, uh, reviewed, you know, tabletop exercises conducted. Because again, today we've all seen that it's not about uh, if you're going to be breached, it's about when. And the key is not just Prevention and detection. Uh, it is also response, right? It is how quickly can you recover and make your business uh, function and be up and running? And to do those things, you need a combination of sort of people, process, technology. And uh, in my role within an and t uh, you know, because I come from the consulting background, I sit in a space where I can see the different elements that we bring to the table come together uh, to give you, you know, some examples of, you know where our experience is. Uh, as a consulting organization, you know, we have deep expertise in, for example, reviewing your cloud architecture, making sure that your incident response plan works for you, taking care of third-party risks, um, you know, how are you going to protect data? Digital transformation is a key word almost in every customer you know, meeting that I sit in. So what does digital transformation truly mean for you? and how digital transformation is usually supported by technology initiatives and for each technology initiatives are you thinking about security upfront? you know you don't want security to be an afterthought especially when you're going through you know transformation initiatives where mostly everything is hyper connected now and let's say you're moving to the cloud like i ask our customers this cloud itself for example is not insecure what you do in the cloud is what matters. It's important to understand shared responsibility models when you're in the cloud. It's important to make sure that your incident response plan can take care of, you know, any breaches that may happen at the cloud level. How would you respond? You know, I have customers that need to comply with various compliance regulations, as well as, you know, they really need to focus on... um, achieving the resilience that they need right so i work across a variety of these engagements and as AT&T, we are equipped uh, to provide managed security services to our customers we have um, a global network that we run with a 24 by 7 security operations you know we have the visibility that really helps us uh, span what we call edge to edge which means you know we can provide coverage across threat vectors from endpoints, so think about your, you know, uh, endpoint which is your mobile device and IoT sensor that may be there to the connectivity layer and to all of the data and the applications that run on your network, right? We also have, you know, the threat intelligence, uh, you know, platform that we've recently acquired uh, with AlienVault and, uh, you know, all of this combination between our consulting services, between managed security services that we have, the uh, technology that AlienVault has, you know, brought to the table for us and uh, the threat intelligence that we have put together. The way I work with our customers is we can truly service them lifecycle-wise end-to-end, right? You can have a customer with any security challenge, and when they reach out to the consulting organization, which is part of the AT&T cybersecurity business, we are able to help our customers solve the security challenges that they see today and plan for what is next, what is out there, what should they be thinking about, how should they make sure their transformation is secure, how can they make sure digital trust is a competitive advantage for them. If you are thinking about any technology initiatives in the next three to six months, it is important to take a risk view to it and align your security milestones that you want to meet across that transformation journey
1: there's a lot there that it um strikes me that uh, you know one of the questions i was sort of pondering there was you know the, it's going to kind of arise with listeners sort of thing you go well you know at t technically a telco what qualifies them to do this i mean you've answered all of that in, in in a lot of great detail there. What I've taken from that is that you've got this broad capability from the business consulting, the professional services at the front end, where you can advise and develop strategy and plan and train and help people get all the way through to the point of getting a language and a vocabulary around what cybersecurity is and some of the challenges. And I imagine even to the point where, you know, often when I work with people like banks, I say to them, uh, cybersecurity and the whole challenge around that. has got to be a standing agenda item on all, every boardroom meeting because otherwise it's not part of your daily DNA. And then it seems like you've got all the way through the, the design, implementation, development, through to support and operational component. And I imagine that's kind of answers my question around, you what makes at t qualified to do this? And then you added the component around the acquisition of AlienVault and all the, the magic comes with that. Is it the case that organizations and clients are coming to you, either existing customers who are buying other AT&T services or companies that aren't yet an AT&T client saying, this is too big for us. You know, we, We're an airline or we're a shipping company or a transport logistics or a hospital. We want to stay being a hospital. We want to stay in retail. We don't really want to have to become an IT and security and cyber risk expert how do you help us? Do they conversations that come to you regularly? And if so, how does that conversation pan out? Where do you start? And what are some of the key stepping stones you get them to the point where you've actually then delivering a managed security service to them as a service provider?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, Let's face the reality of it. right? Organizations today do not get hacked because they lack a firewall or they don't have a particular technology in place or they don't have an antivirus in place, for example, or any of these other point security technology solutions. The real challenge is to integrate and orchestrate all of the security technologies that you currently have already made investments in and you need to get the complete visibility that that is needed. And then you also have to have enough time and resources and make sure all of these things work together. So let's take the life uh, of a security team, a day in the life of a security team. The critical security functions they have to perform are they have to make sure they're keeping good cybersecurity hygiene within their organization, which means that they have to make sure their users are trained, they have to do, you know, vulnerability scanning, patching, they have to research every emerging threat, they have to make sure that their incident response plan is updated, they have to do penetration tests, um, you know, on an annual basis and they have to make sure that each time their network infrastructure is changing, they have to keep up with all this. So where the breaches happen is any gap that they have in the visibility or it, any of the critical activities that I just mentioned, if you just slip one time, because security is a point in time activity, right? So tomorrow morning, if you opened up one firewall rule to let a third party get into your network, your security posture has changed. You have introduced, you know, um, something new in your environment and you have to constantly keep up. So in at and what we see is when organizations come to us, it's somewhere with a gap in the people process or the technology that, is part of their security program that they're not able to keep up. And this is the sort of the reason behind all of the modern breaches that are happening. And at and is uniquely positioned because we have the scale and we you know, have the ability to weave all your existing technologies together to make it work for you from a risk perspective. You know, suppose you had 100 coins to spend, what would you spend it on? Will you spend it on prevention? Will you spend it on detection? Will you spend it on response? The answer depends, you know, preferably you want to spend more on detection and response given the threat landscape now than just the prevention aspect. Um, you know, so what we as at t when we work with our customers, Think of our core assets, right? We have the consulting portfolio, we have our managed security services, we have a software defined platform, we have the Alien Walls, um, Alien Labs threat intelligence. And as a cybersecurity organization, we are able to deliver the security needs of any organization without the seams, meaning, you know. Those cracks that I was defining earlier, it could be in the people area, the process area, or the technology area. We are able to close those gaps, and we are able to do it at a scale that is hard to beat. So I think when customers come to us, and yes, uh, you know, there's always that perception that oh, I thought AT and was just you know a telco provider. Um, you know, we have. Uh, we definitely have that as our parent brand but uh you know cybersecurity as a business is top of mind for ATT. think about our network think about us being a large retailer we are going through the same things that our customers need to protect so we understand what it takes to run a business that has you know sensitive data that has to establish a brand with your customer uh, that needs that trust established with your consumers, so we are all that right, so we are able to service our customers because we live and breathe the challenges that they have
1: It reminds me of the um, the anecdote of the little Dutch boy who uh, kept trying to put his finger in holes in the dike to stop uh, his town flooding eventually ran out of fingers. Um, a couple of the points you made there actually reminded me about uh, a survey I read the other day that's on the AT&T business website. Uh, I think it's titled Charting a New Course. And the survey looked at, uh, I forget the exact number, but I think it's something in the order of 250 different uh, senior uh, IT leaders around the world, asking them where they're at with their, you know, things you're talking about, you know, their current position with regard to risk management strategy, what they're doing around cybersecurity. And the interesting thing I read from it, uh, I think it was the third or fourth page by the time I could sort of get the real meat that I wanted, was... That um, 99% of them had a plan, a strategy, well, a strategy initially and then a supporting plan. Um, but it was those gaps that you're referring to that they all admitted, uh, and I'm sure anonymously because they didn't want to be named, that they recognized that through the survey, it highlighted the fact that, yeah, we've got a strategy, we've got a plan, but we just realized we've got some gaps. And, and that kind of led me to think, well, this is where somebody with the breadth and depth and strength of sort of the AT&T business, the ATT cybersecurity component can help them because no one organization can be everything to everyone uh, as a service provider if they're a hospital, whatever. But I do believe it is the case that at and cybersecurity business can actually deliver this because that's all you do. That's what your primary focus is, right? You don't have any other remit other than focusing on cybersecurity and the, the business challenges and the technology challenges. Um, one of the things that I'm keen to get your insights on is I know we get a lot of feedback around security conversations where, well, you know, things happen too fast and there's too many of them uh you know we're being attacked every minute and we're being attacked by the tens of thousands and as you mentioned before and alluded to that the cost of these attacks are coming down that you know not just script kitties but there's you know just like the porn industry got professional and people subscribe now the criminal industry with cybersecurity has gotten professional and you can subscribe to service and you can ddos someone for like 50 bucks as you said um is it the case that that, that people are coming to you now saying well as that charting a new course uh, survey said, they're saying, we've got a strategy, we've got a plan, we know we've got some holes there, can you help fill them for us? Um, But things are moving quickly. So I know you've got this whole capacity around software-defined platforms and agility. Is it the case you're applying sort of DevOps sort of, you know, rapid agile responses to these at scale and at speed that's matching this challenge? Because I I don't know that anybody else is positioned to do that as well as as AT&T cybersecurity business unit could potentially do at the size and speed that you can respond.
0: Yeah, I think we are uniquely positioned today in the marketplace because we are able to provide what we call the unified security management. It's that approach that combines the people, process and technology. And the way we do that, you know, if you think about the cybersecurity marketplace today um, and you look at organizations you will find an average of about 75-point solutions that is there within every organization. And those point solutions were put in place because they were meant to defend against an attack vector. I've worked with organizations where you walk in and look at their technologies that they've already invested in, and you start to think about hey, is this really efficient for you? Did you need um, a DLP you know, s- technology in place where you've not yet configured it? Do you have for, and I ask this question to every organization that I work with, for every tool that you have, what is that underlying process and who is managing it? Because if you think about, it's a complex environment, it's messy, it's complex, you know, you need... You don't want another vendor coming and giving you yet another point solution in an already crowded marketplace. I think as AT&T Cybersecurity, what we do is we bring together best-of-breed technologies from leading vendors. We are able to help you orchestrate and integrate it using our software-defined platform, like you mentioned. So we are able to do it quickly. We are able to do it at scale. We are able to use the threat intelligence that we have from the AT&T Alien Labs. We have our security operation centers that are able to, you know, really help support your organization. Uh, I really feel like today the way organizations are set up and what business goals you have and the need for agility and innovation, unless... You are in the field of security. I don't see why you should do all of your security in-house. Today, we have the ability to be able to augment organization security teams. We have the ability to help organizations, you know, uh, move away from the approach of having to shoulder the burden of every security technology that needs to be managed. You know, I work with organizations that, uh, you know, uh, have had this DIY culture, right? So do you really, I understand you want to run your own security operations center. But do you also want to manage your firewall? Do you also want to manage every rule in that firewall? How often do you test your firewall rules? Do you want to conduct your own scanning? Do you want to look at all of the vulnerabilities that those scan results provide? And do you have the bandwidth and the number of resources to go fix it? Are you measuring the security effectiveness of your awareness and training programs? If every organization is doing a great job with their security awareness and training, how are we still seeing so many clicks in terms of phishing attacks? So which means that, you know, back to my point about the people process and technology working together for you at a scale and being able to relieve that complexity that you as an organization face you know i work with organizations that tell me that hey you know my users are all you know trained in terms of security awareness and training we have you know videos that we've shown them and then you you know cr- do a social engineering assessment where you craft an email and you also not just an email phishing you know scenario let's say you pose as the help desk and you call them let's say you know you're able to to socially engineer credentials out of them. Uh, Today, I think, you know, with the amount of data and the social profile that we all have, it's very easy to craft a spear phishing email. Look at your out-of-office messages that you set up. You set up out-of-office messages revealing so much information about your organization and about, you know, who should they reach out to in case you're, you know, away on vacation. All this data that we now are used to sharing and the data that is available is being manipulated and targeted at your weakest link. Your weakest link can be your third party. Your weakest link can be your own end users. Your weakest link can be these gaps in processes and technologies that you have, right? So I think um, as a cybersecurity professional, being part of at cybersecurity division, I feel like We are unique when we come to the marketplace where we are not introducing yet another point solution to you. We are cognizant of the fact that you've already made investments. You already have programs running and we want to be able to use your existing investments and make it work for you and take you to that next step in the maturity curve.
1: It's interesting you meant it, the, the note you mentioned with regard to uh, spear phishing and uh, out-of-office messages. I was trying to get hold of a CEO of a bank that uh, I know personally and just had lost his mobile number. And I knew he was at a conference uh, interstate. So I sent him an email saying, hey, uh, trying to get in touch with you, but I'm, I'm really just uh, delete this email because I just want your out-of-office message because I know you've got a mobile phone number in it. I rang him and he's like, how did you get my mobile phone number? I've got a new number. And I said, well, you compose your out of office as if it's only going inside your organization. <laughs> but your mobile phone number is the first thing in it. Uh, and he was shocked. And then, you know, it's that wake up call of, oh, I didn't even think about the actual audience. Now, there's some really big things coming out of of both, uh, I guess, you know, the alien vault with acquisition and, and AT&T as a whole. And, and the impending massive uh, exciting uh, RSA event coming up. Um, I'm really keen to get your uh, insights on kind of what we're going to be seeing at the RSA Security Conference. And I mean, because there's some really big things happening. I mean, all the things you're talking around with what at t Security Business Unit is doing, uh, what AlienVault brings to the table around sort of you know as you mentioned their, their threat intelligence capability, their their labs and research space, their security operations center, their analysts, the machine learning capability they've got for all those actual insights. Uh, a whole range of stuff. And then, you know, the other end of the spectrum, uh, what they're doing around sort of crowdsourced data and, and, you know, I think the number was like 100,000 plus participants over 140 countries, I remember reading, in that sort of quote unquote uh, white hat uh, hacker slash researcher community feeding insights and information into this data. That That in itself is a whole show and a story. But um, what can we anticipate at RSA from yourself and your team both from the at t cybersecurity piece and I guess what AlienVault are going to be showing uh, through this whole, you know, sh- event as, as they're completing the acquisition journey in themselves and becoming part of the at t family?
0: Yeah, yeah, we are very excited about the RSA event, and uh, there you'll hear about our unique vision in terms of providing security without the seams. Um, you know, you will uh, hear from us about our AT&T cybersecurity division. And to your point, uh, you know, the phenomenal threat intelligence that we have. Uh, you know, we have the Open Threat Exchange as well as the AT&T's IP backbone. You know, the Open Threat Exchange is open and free to join threat intelligence community. It's got over hundred thousand members. The- this incredible scale of data that we have with alien labs and being able to analyze let's say about 370,000 unique pieces of malware samples every day you know puts us at you know the top in terms of us having the world's largest sensor networks with the backbone that we have with the open threat exchange, coupled with the cybersecurity expertise that we bring to the table across industry verticals and across um, different sizes of organization. Um, I would say to sum it up, I would call us uh, as being able to offer full stack security and to be able to build solutions for our customers that uh, fit their needs no matter you know, size, industry, or maturity.
1: I like that. The full stacks are something that resonates very well these days. So even in boardrooms, I'm hearing people saying, oh, we have full stack X. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's <laughs> interesting. Uh, that language has made its way to the top of the food chain. I did see an amazing statistic I'd love to get your thoughts on. Uh, I mean, at has got a massive backbone as you just uh, outlined, uh, delivering services to a substantial amount of the, the world population over God knows how many countries. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what's at RSA. I think there's some exciting things to be seen there, and I, I I'm just, I can't wait to get there and get a bunch of people like yourself on, on camera and interview. One of the things I'd like to wrap up on um, is you're at the bleeding edge of all the stuff you're working with on a day-to-day basis and, and all the exciting things you're working around, not just in your role as principal architect, architect in, in AT&T cybersecurity and not just with what you're doing of onboarding uh, Alien Vault and all those things. And I should highlight uh, the AT&T Business Summit recently in Dallas-Fort Worth. I got to hang out with the Alien Vault team and... Uh, I, I, with permission, pinched one of the seven-foot-tall green aliens. Um, and if we were live streaming this, you would see on my left shoulder against the wall next to my desk here in the in the studio, in the podcast studio, there's a seven-foot-tall, fully-inflated alien vault green monster looking over us as we do this. So I had a bit of a chuckle a moment ago. Um, you are literally on the bleeding edges in, in, in the best sense of that term. Uh, you're seeing things that nobody else can imagine, and you're dealing with them. Um, I would love to hand you a crystal ball uh, before we wrap up and and say, look, grab this crystal ball in a virtual sense, look into it for me. What are some of the biggest challenges you're seeing? What are some of the biggest trends in the next 12 to 18 months? What are some of the conversations that people need to be having, Uh, both, I guess, just, you know, the water cooler conversations as in, you know, are we doing this? Have we got a plan? Have we got a strategy? But all the way through to the the boardroom in, in the, you know, Becoming aware of what's going on. I mean, AT&T put out a, a regular uh, AT&T Cybersecurity Insights report. I think Volume 7 was the last one I read recently. It was just recently published. Um, so there are six other versions around that. And I think the latest one was uh, focused on on the challenges around today's digital world. But the previous ones have been all the things you talked about, like Mind the Gap and a CXO or CEO Guide to Data Security and a whole range of things they should go and have a look at on the AT&T business website. But to wrap up, if you were to look into this virtual crystal ball uh, with the, your Spidey sense and, and your professional background and you know, decade plus in the space, what's coming at us? What are some of the biggest challenges that people are facing that you're seeing, that you're helping them with? And what should they, what should they be pondering going forward to sort of think, well, I need to pick up the phone and speak to Bindu and her team, get AT&T cybersecurity team in here and start talking to us at the business level all the way through to how we run operationally. I mean, I'd love to get that sort of insight because I think you've got such a unique view of this broad world and challenging world. You can give our listeners something they're not going to get anywhere else.
0: Okay, I'm going to give it a shot, you know. Uh it's not going to be like a 2019 predictions, no, but I'm no, going no. to tell you, yeah, I'm going to tell you, you know, what I think we will start to hear more of in this landscape. So the first thing that's going to happen is cybercrime as an industry will continue to grow, right? Uh 2021 it's estimated to reach about uh, 6 trillion dollars. That's a lot of money, right? So it's going to be a commoditized industry. It'll keep going further. And uh, this is not about dealing with the problem. Problem from a FUD perspective, so it's not about the fear, right? Um, think about it in terms of risks to your organization. So if, you know, what is, what I think will happen is there will be a risk-based security conversation that will happen at the boardroom level and that will not just focus on IT security risk, but it will focus on operational risks as well. So think about your IT and operational technology, which is your OT assets coming together and how they will be leveraged from an attacker's view and what impact that would cost to your organization. And if I were, you know, with that crystal ball, if I said, I would say risk and resilience will become a much more common term within organizations and something that they'll drive towards versus... IT security spending and IT security metrics. That's one. I would say the other area we are going to see a lot more of is truly the relevance of cloud security and implementations of security in the cloud. And, um, you know, most of the breaches that we will see in this space will be because of misconfigurations. You know, one of the challenges that folks think about, you know, the cloud, the ease of deployment shouldn't really translate into insecure configurations. So you still need to think about what data you're putting in the cloud. What is the visibility to that data? Will you know if that data is breached? Who checked your cloud security architecture? You know, make sure that compliance and security are not equal as well, right? So that is a theme that, you know, we have to move beyond compliance. I still work with many organizations where compliance is probably their only or primary driver. I think we will, this year might be the way where we would start to see um, that change in the sense compliance is still something that is mandatory and they'll do it. But we have to make sure that, Compliance should be the byproduct of security and not the other way around. The other area we're going to start to see a lot of focus on, I think, is privacy. Yes, GDPR brought about a whole new um, you know, I guess, enforcement and you know, making sure that it got the right relevance. But I'm I feel like the cybersecurity risk and privacy will come together this year, and we are going to see. A true concerted effort to make sure that all of these are thought about before folks jump and make that next technology investment.
1: Wow, that's some amazing insights. One last question for you. I remember seeing uh, you talking uh, late last year around the sole challenge of Gen V attacks, and you know, we've talked we've talked a lot about um, traditional enterprise challenges. You know, hospitals, banks, etc. Um, there's also, you mentioned some of the challenges around phishing attacks and sort of the things that people are at senior roles or wherever might be, need to be thinking about. And that whole, you know, threat position and, and posture and all those various attack vectors I'd love to wrap up with your thoughts around what organizations need to be thinking about with regard to their future view with this whole idea of generation virtual in that. I think there's a lot of misconception that Gen V is kids. Um, and yet. I can't remember the last time I met with somebody for a coffee, lunch, dinner, a meeting that didn't have a smartphone and didn't reach out for a laptop to do calendaring. So in many ways, I think we sort of think about Gen V or Generation Virtual as sort of the next thing for millennials and Gen Zs and everyone being you know, virtual and social media and data but I have a position view that everybody's Gen V now. I mean, I'm 51 and I'm Gen V. Everything I do is digital. <laughs> I do internet banking. I, can't, I actually don't remember which branch I set up my account with, so I would have to ring my bank to say, if I need to sign a contract, where do I go to? It was that long ago. Um, it's all ATMs around the world, not even my bank's ATMs. I'm, I'm keen to get your insights uh, just as a final question around this whole thing around Gen V and, and just how, you know, I guess, what your view is on that and, and how broad that is. Uh, as a wrap-up, because I, I think this is something that people forget, that it's not just kids. It's not just the next generation. It's like here, today, you and me, and every day we go to work or every day we have an action in and out of the firewall. Um, this seems to me that something that the, the whole team you have around your role of principal architect at AT&T Cybersecurity is driving that thought leadership around, well, what are the consequences of your actions, and are you doing something smart? And if you're running your organization day-to-day, are you aware of that visibility and that challenge and that risk um the concept of Gen V to me seems to permeate every part of the organization every generation not just the kids is is that a fair thing to say
0: Yes it definitely is and I would say that you know today attacks are you know they don't just attack one vulnerability right a lower level vulnerability is exploited to get to a higher level and um, you know the way attacks happen today every single citizen that uses like you said an Alexa, a smartphone, a smartwatch, right? We all are responsible for security. So when we walk into an organization, especially when we do security awareness and training programs, and you say, okay, who's responsible for security? The last thing you wanna see is that one person that was accountable raised his or her hand, right? You would want your organization to be invested in cybersecurity. You would want your kids to understand what cybersecurity is. I almost equate it to fire safety. You know, at a very young age, in schools they start doing fire drills even when you are older you know you know when you get on the airplane they you know all of us have been on it but they still read you those safety guidelines right it's because if something were to go wrong we all have a stake in it, that's the same thing for cybersecurity. Think about the usernames and passwords you're using. I can tell you, you know, uh, because I do this for a living. I have walked into, you know, uh, doctors' offices where uh, I see a physician just type in one, two, three, four on that iPad, and uh, you know, much to the, you know, <laughs> so, you know, like it is shocking, right? But it's it's a matter of convenience, and then you know, I tell them. I really, you know, think that, you know, you need to think this through, right? You have all this data, you have one, two, three, four as your password, you're typing it in and we can see it, right? You know, think about the security implications of that and what you do on a day-to-day basis. I, you know, work with you know the community as well you know where i when i when we are it's not you know definitely a cool party talk but think about this like right? all of us the type of data that we consume today and the social profile that we've built it's almost like we have an imprint When was the, like you said, like when was the last time we ever went to the bank to do something, right? And, uh, you know, even when we are at a bank, you know, we are probably still using our phone to log in and do things. And uh, the same thing for healthcare I don't remember the last time I ever had to keep immunization records for my child, right? I get it all online. So I don't need to save that. so every form of data touchpoint that every one of us use today and to your point, across demographics. It is not just for, you know, what we consider the millennial generation or the Gen Z. It is meant for every single citizen, end user, you know, that today is accustomed to getting access to information when they want, where they want, how they want, and how fast they want, <laughs> right? We all want it. Like, you know, when was the last time, you know, you really thought about, hey, I'm shopping with this retailer, will my data be secure? Right. You ex- you've come to expect it like I expect my, uh, you know, mobile banking app to work no matter what, whichever country I'm in, wherever, you know, whichever phone I'm using or, you know, I will switch between a phone and a tablet. I want it to work. Same thing with the retailer. I walk into a retail stores today and then I expect them, you know, like I show up and give my phone number. I expect you to pull up a profile, you know, pick up my order, go try something in that smart mirror. Think about how. You know, technology savvy we've become, and it's across generations, and it's also a responsibility that we bring to the table, right? If you're using all of this, then you are also accountable for your role in all of this.
1: I like that. We're uh, all in the same boat, pulling the same direction. And uh, I saw a great quote uh, on one of the articles, I suspect you might have authored it on at t Business website, talking about what uh, the AT&T cybersecurity team were doing. And, and the quote was, old school thinking can't defend against new attacks. And I think you have just summarized that perfectly. Well, uh, Bindu uh, Sundarasin, thank you so much for uh, joining me on my show. It's been great to have you as a guest and um, amazing to get some insights into you personally and your background, but also uh, what you're doing in the role of principal architect at at t cybersecurity, what's coming up at RSA. And um, there's a whole bunch to unbundle there for people listening in and... Uh, For folk who are going to be interested in reaching out to Bindu and her team, there will be information on the show description below. So make sure you click on the link to go to their uh, organizational uh, website and the portal and there will be contact information. Make sure you reach out and ping her on LinkedIn and I'm sure you're on Twitter and other platforms. And uh, I hope we have you on the show again as a guest real soon because I'm sure there will be a lot of questions and DMs asking about when you're back on the show and questions we can send to you to answer for people listening in. Bindu, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. I had a great time. This is an awesome conversation.